All righty. Um, let's go ahead and get into the word of God today. So we're in Acts chapter 13, still studying um, what it means to be a saint, to be a Christian, a believer, um, how we're supposed to live as the New Testament um, uh, uh, covenant as Melchizedekian priests under that order because Christ came after that order. And we're learning more about what it means to walk in that life. And we discovered that most of us feel that the New Testament in of itself is not really something that we live by because those people were different. And we are not that, we don't live in that same day and age. So we've come up with new rules rather than recognizing that um, uh, how we're supposed to live was, and what God has called us to do was exactly the same. Yes? But we've, we've concluded that it was somehow supposed to be different because it looks as if the standard was not something we could keep up with. Amen? And that's not true. We're supposed to be living just like the New Testament disciples and apostles and not modern forms and versions of that. Yes? But identical. So last week we left off with uh, part 12 was for the work to which I am called. And at the end of that service, we had a, a new vow and a commitment to those who are called to the work of ministry. All righty. Um, and to recognize that this is a serious commitment that we make with the Father. And it is not to be taken lightly. And I believe that those that came to the altar believed that that work was serious and repented for all the times that they played around with that. Um, yes? And to recognize that just because you are not called to a ministry office does not mean you are not called to work Amen. in the kingdom of God, to serve in the body of Christ. Hello? Whether that's sweeping a floor, ushering people to sit, cleaning some glass, um, singing a song, dancing, playing an instrument, these are all works that we do to forward the momentum of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Now, there's others like feeding the homeless and um, getting clothes to those in need. And, and those are all the same types of things as well. Um, but when you join a local church, you have at your disposal pre-made opportunities <laughs> to forward the, the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God in a specific direction that is more contingent upon the spirit and nature of that local church. Amen? Amen? So you say, of all the churches that I could have joined, this one better serves the community and the body of Christ in a way that best fits me. What my skill sets are, or the fact that I don't have any, that they will work with me on that. <laughs> and they will let me be active even though I'm not very great at anything. And I like that. <laughs> Whatever you find the church that does that, or, um, uh, and that's pretty much it. That's, that's the only option. I know people like to think that the other options are just don't be in a church and be out here doing something. That's not true. <laughs> that's not biblical. Everyone has to be held accountable to someone. Yes? Everyone. This is how we get off in some, some craziness because you decided that the church was outside our four walls and thus you don't have to answer to anybody. Yeah. Hello? So, so I don't know where over there, but that, that best helps you to understand. You picked Renew and that's obvious because you are here. Amen? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today I want to pick up in Acts chapter 13 
Um, and I want to use the title, When My Life Doesn't Fit. When My Life, we're studying the Acts of the Saints. When My Life Doesn't Fit, Acts chapter 13. So last week we looked at John Mark and how John Mark left his work with Paul and Barnabas um, at the end, I believe, no, at the, yeah, at the end of the very last verse in chapter 12, and we discussed this work that he had left and how we pretty much didn't hear back from him or whatever work him and Barnabas were up to um, for a very long time. Um, and uh, Paul and Barnabas continued together, um, and then their separation happened when Barnabas wanted to pull John Mark back with them for the rest of the missions trip, and Paul said no. But prior to that, John Mark left Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas continued. Does that make sense? On a missions journey. Since we skipped to the end of John Mark's story, I want to remind you that we're back to Paul and Barnabas still together. Okay? Okay, just didn't want you to get confused on that. So in chapter 13, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up. And when my life doesn't fit is the subtitle for today's message. And that can go in a lot of ways. There are so many ways that a person comes to the realization that their life doesn't fit them. Anybody ever been there? Maybe some path I put myself on, some direction I started with very little accountability from God. Um, some mistakes that I've made, some choices, some zeal, some lack of wisdom, something happened, and all of a sudden you have an aha moment. And you, maybe it wasn't aha, maybe you, it kind of crept into fullness that this, what I'm doing, does not fit who I feel I'm supposed to be. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. It just doesn't fit. No matter what I try, it just does not seem to mesh with me. Other, everybody else does some of the similar things, and it seems like it's working for them, but when I try to do it, it just seems like this just is something, a note off key, a, a puzzle piece not quite exact, a line that doesn't really go straight. It's just, it makes me uneasy. And people say, I don't know, I've always thought my life was, you know, what I made it, you know, it's perfectly fine. Okay, well, have you ever just recognized or had a point in yourself where you said, you know, um, I don't know how I got here. That's a life that doesn't fit. I don't know how I became this. That's a life that doesn't fit. I wish I was somebody else. That's a life that doesn't fit. I wish I was like somebody else. That's a life that doesn't fit. I wish I had, I wish I was able, I wish I could. All of these, when it comes to your identity, Statements, these statements are key indicators that you are living a life that does not fit who you know yourself to be. And many of us will keep trying. Keep trying to push that puzzle piece right where it goes. Hello, somebody. I mean, people even do it in Christianity, which we're going to look at today. You know, I've had people say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I want to be saved. I said, well, don't be. How are you going to tell me not to be? Ain't you supposed to encourage me to be saved? For what? You have come to the realization that Christianity is not fitting the things that you want to do, how you want to live. There's something about your view of life and success that Christianity does not go with. 
I am not a salesman. I'm not trying to sell you Christ. But look, if you come to Christ, you can also, it slices, it dices, it juliennes. No. No, he does not. <laughs> if you don't see him as truth, bye-bye. Hello? That, that's just it. And today we're going to look at, do we really see him as truth? And could it be that my life, even in God, quote-unquote, doesn't fit because I have not truly seen the Lord? There's aspects of the gospel and Christianity that I have still not yet fully received in my spirit. Hello, somebody. And thus, I don't have an appreciation. I can't quite get out of me what everybody else is producing. It doesn't quite fit me for some reason. And everybody's at a different stage of this. Hello? So when my life doesn't fit, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. We did this, right? Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Mahanian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, excuse me, for the work to which I have called them. Then um, having fasted and prayed and they laid hands upon them, they sent them away. So Paul and Barnabas, Paul, who was originally called Saul, uh, were sent out to their first missions trip, uh, and it was at some point that John Mark said, I'm just not going to go with them, and that was after they left Cyprus, which is what we talked about last week. When they left Cyprus, which is where John Mark and Barnabas were from, uh, John Mark didn't want to go any further, and we discussed that on last week, um, and he bailed on the work of the ministry for personal reasons, reasons that we do not know, but they were personal. I mean, they affected him and not the kingdom. <laughs> and so he, he left with that. Um, at some point, um, they went to Cyprus, had a wonderful time. Uh, people were healed. Um, one guy was struck with blindness as he tried to contend against the teachings of the gospel. And he was uh, sent into utter darkness for uh, uh, who knows how long. The Bible doesn't tell you, nor did the Bible tell us um, did, did, did the apostles give this man, Elymas, any solutions. When Paul was struck with blindness by a bright light of the Lord and Savior meeting him, um, he was given instructions on how to be made well, on how to see, go to a road called straight. This man was trying to make the straight path of the Lord crooked, was consumed by darkness, and was not given a plan on how to get out of that. So the two situations were uniquely different, and Paul intently looked upon him and knew what was going on in his heart. Uh, there comes next week, we're going to look at another verse where Paul intently looks at someone. And this word intently, this phrase keeps coming up in Acts and in the work of the saints, because looking intently at a person is paramount for ministry. Most people have a hard time looking intently or being looked at intently. You know, you're that person that when my eyes catch your eyes, you're like, <laughs> you know, when you're upset, you have to look away rather than looking directly. Intense emotions make you want to hold your head down rather than sharing in that moment with that person. Because at that very cusp of emotion, who you really are is being seen, exposed, revealed. 
And you dare not for anyone to ponder into what's really happening in your soul. So Paul had a way of looking intently at people. Something that came naturally to the spirit of God and to Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. He knew what was on the heart of every person he was around. Paul had to peer into the heart, mind, and soul of individuals. And what he found and how he judged was then anointed by God. Whew. Tough. Hello, somebody. Uh, but he looked intently at Elemis and said, you are crooked. And how long are you going to keep trying to uh, pervert the ways, the straight paths of the Lord? And that's pretty much what you do when you contend with the gospel. You are trying to make sure that those who are listening to your argument, that their paths to right standing with God do not happen. This is in any instruction that godly wisdom gives to a person. Godly instruction gives to a person. When you contend with that, you're saying, I don't want you to walk to the path that makes you right with the Father. And you say it's okay because it's just your opinion. And it could be true. It is your opinion. But if your opinion is coming from a spirit that is not the spirit of God, then how useful is that opinion? How useful is it? And some of us have um, uh, exalted our opinions and our feelings as Lord over everything. No one can tell you anything because you feel. You have to tell everything because you feel. In your opinion, it goes like this, and I just feel that. And, you, and, I ju and this just becomes an ongoing situation. No need to keep going down that path. Um, but they had a wonderful time there. Um, the uh, uh, Italian guard uh, that wanted to know and hear about the gospel, I think it was, what was his name? Uh, the proconsul that wanted to hear the gospel that sent for uh, Paul and Barnabas. Um, after seeing all of this and hearing the teachings, um, he was compelled to believe and did. So then Paul and uh, Barnabas set sail um, for Paphos, and they came to Perga, this is verse 13, in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem, okay, so that's when John Mark left, okay, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Poseida, Poseidia, which, which is a different Antioch than the one that they were in initially, it's like way over in Turkey, the original Antioch was kind of closer to Jerusalem, um, uh, in, in, in the Greek territory, formerly Greek territory, but uh, this new Antioch is way, way in Turkey, or what they would consider Asia. Far, far, far up north, very, 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 very far up. Um, and that's some uncharted territories, okay? So they went there to the Antioch that was there and went into the synagogue on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, excuse me, and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. This is, that's, that's uncommon, to say the least. That they would, if you have any, after they read the prophets, the Pentateuch, and, 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 and the five books, then the books of the prophets, once they read those, they tell these new guests, if you have a word, give it to us. This is in the synagogue, in the temple itself. Jerusalem, they weren't given this kind of platform. 
you, you need to know that it wasn't going down, right? But here they're like, hey, fellow brother, you have a, a word you want to give us? Give it to us. And they're like, well, certainly. Now this is Paul's first sermon. And it is recorded because it is his first. Shall we read it? Then Paul stood up in verse 16 and motioning with his hand and said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen to the God of uh, you who fear God. Listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as a king, to whom he also gave the testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up from Galilee to Jerusalem with him, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. And that he raised him up from the dead no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers. 
marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Stop right there. It's a powerful sermon, isn't it? Powerful sermon, isn't it? It's powerful. He was going for the jugular. Let's take this apart. Let's look at some things here. I believe in Paul's sermon, something that we are familiar with the history of the children of Israel. We are familiar with their, uh, their um, how they were grown in, in the womb of Egypt. Then they were delivered from Egypt. You know, how under Abraham they became a people, uh, a, a group, yes, a seed. Under David, they became a nation. And now under Christ, they're becoming a kingdom. And we could see the progression of these individuals and how Israel began to be developed and formed as the son of God. This son, unlike being the firstborn, uh, was not a very good firstborn. So Christ became the chief firstborn above them all in order that they, the sons of God, might be redeemed. He took human form that all the sons of God might be redeemed. If we left it up to Adam, we'd all perish. But Christ becoming the firstborn. Hello. And how many times do you see in the history of, of, of Israel where the second son becomes the primary son? The one that came after becomes the one who has the title and the position. And so you see this story echoed so many times in Israel because it, pre, it pre, uh, points to the idea that Christ would be the one that would come from David but supersede over David. When David did all the will, according to God, I, here is one that I found that would do all my will. And David did that as a king with, with many flaws as a human being. Christ then comes and fulfills that doing the Father's will perfectly. Something that no individual has been able to do and no collective group of his people could do either. Yes? This history we're very familiar with. We're familiar with their, with their wanderings and how God, I love how Paul said, and how he put up with them in the wilderness as if nobody y'all was a mess the entire time we were trying to cut through the wilderness don't look back at this like oh we crossed over no we needed a cross i couldn't wait for this to be done you were horrible trip mates it was supposed to go one way anybody ever been there our time together was supposed to go one way and it ended up going a complete We're supposed to have this beautiful experience and then it just really went completely south. This happens to me more times than I can remember when I try to incorporate members of my church in my experiences. I go into them going, this is going to be a beautiful experience and I am running home with tears in my eyes going, that is a horrible memory. Horrible. Horrible. You took something I was so looking forward to and it just made it. Every time I think of sand, I just. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be that way. I'm just using my life as an example. I cannot help it if you are a part of my life. <laughs> These are my testimonies. <laughs> if you were there, then you were there. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> 
But I'm sure you have your own examples of when you really thought this was going to go in a certain direction and it was the complete opposite of that. You felt like this was a good path and it was nothing but heartache and struggle the entire time. And you figure like, what, figure, what am I even doing this? What, what, why did I even think this was a good idea? He tolerated them, put up with them in the wilderness. He destroyed seven nations and then gave them the land as an inheritance and an allotment. He gave them judges that would rule with godly hearts until Samuel. And that makes sense because as lawlessness increases, the ability to judge rightly decreases. So now we don't get fair judges. Now we have to have the voice of God. So thus we get Samuels and prophets. Hello, somebody. And then as the prophets began to rule the people, the people said, no, we want a businessman. We want a commander in chief. We want a king like the rest of the nations. Apparently you have enemies that you feel responsible in fighting on your own. So we no longer want to hear the voice of God. We need wisdom and strategy like everybody else. We need to live like, you know, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, there's some wisdom and balance and blah, 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 blah. Make sense? So give us a king like all the other nations. He says, fine. He gives him Saul. Saul did not work out. Saul ruled for 40 years. And it wasn't that great. So God removed Saul. <laughs> Saul was a reflection of if Israel could pick a king, this is the type of king they would pick. So he gave them the reflection of what was really in them. Y'all don't want to play fair to me today. Hello, hello, somebody. You don't ask God for this love. You don't ask God for this relationship. You don't ask God for this job. You don't ask God. And all it really is that he gave you is a reflection of what if you could pick for yourself, this is what you would pick. And when he gives it to you, you are flabbergasted that it doesn't work out and have the audacity to say, well, did you give me this or not? Like, why would you? I thought you blessed me with this. He did. He did give you that job. He did bless you with that friendship. He did. But what it really is that he gave you is a reflection of what you would have picked. The blessing isn't the thing you got. The blessing is a clear understanding of where you are. A revelation of what's really going on on your insides. You pick the job that make you work on a Sunday because it gives you extra pay. You pick the job, you understand, you, you pick the relationship that isn't quite saved, doesn't quite go to church, but at least he calls you. Hello? It's just, it's just a reflection. So yeah, he blessed you with it. A chance to see. Because this what you wanted? Huh? This what you asked for? This what you wanted? And when, you, and when it really shows up, and it begins to be active in your life. It brings with it all types of things you didn't really want. Hello? And you're looking at God like, I thought you blessed me with this. I thought this was a blessing of God. It was. Based off of what you requested, which is a reflection of where your heart really is. Hello, somebody. What really matters to you? If you could pick what you would pick, I'd pick Saul because he's tall and handsome and charismatic. Oh, that's what you would pick. Oh, look at you. Hello? 
So God removes him. You're terrible at this. Thank God for that. Ain't that good? You're so terrible at picking. Now let me give you something so that you can compare and contrast between what you say you want and what I know is best for you. Now what I find is interesting about the scenario is he gives them David, which is just the seed of the fullness of Christ that is to come. Y'all don't want to help me today. He gives them David. It's like the Christ in baby miniature, not quite ready form. Hello, somebody. And if I had a Christ, but you are not ready for him, this is what it will look like. He then gives you not the greatest thing that he has prepared for you. He gives you the beginning of the thing that he has prepared for you. Even the beginning of what God has for you is better than what you would have picked for your. Y'all don't want to help me today. Even the beginning of what God has in mind for you is better than the full grown of what you would have picked for yourself. Can you see that? That when you let God choose it for you. Hello, somebody. Then you not only get the blessing of the king, which is what you wanted, but you get a foretaste. Come on, y'all don't want to help me. You get a taste of what is to come in glory. You get a taste of what God really is about. You get a, it's so much more that comes with what God gives you than what you would have picked if you could have solved this situation yourself. He gives you a job that points to the kingdom of God. He gives you a a friend that points to the kingdom of God. He gives you a lover that points to the kingdom of God. He gives you a house that points to the kingdom of God, a location that points to the kingdom of God. It always is just this and so much more. Just a little bit and so much more. And they were so content. The best king they ever had was David. Best king by far. Hello, somebody. The little bit was better than they ever could have picked, and it was just the tip of the iceberg. Eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard, nor has it entered into the, man, the heart of man what God has laid up. Like you don't even know what I'm doing. I was sitting on one of the sofas. <laughs> I was sitting on one of the sofas, <laughs> one of the sofas in my brand new house. And this sofa, I've had this sofa through three, no, four apartments and rental properties. Mm -hmm. And for a year and some change, it was locked away in storage. So when I moved into the house, I pulled out this sofa and it's now in my loft area and I like sitting on it by the window and my books. And I'm sitting on this sofa and I'm realizing that this sofa is perfectly placed here. The chaise part where you put your feet up is right beside a whole column of books. I could just, I ain't even gotta get up. I could just reach over and just grab one. I could just lean up and just look at all the other books and try to figure out which one I want. This sofa has been in other houses and in other places and the chaise was on the wrong side and you walk into it and hit your toe because it's right there in front of the door and, and it was too big and you gotta kinda skirt around and you can't have any other furniture near it because it was too big for that space. This sofa has been in so many homes and it was never quite the perfect 
And now I'm sitting in this sofa and I'm like, did you know? Did you know? Did you know that all these times I had to move this sofa, all these times it just quite right, quite wasn't quite right, all these times it just quite it didn't fit. And I kept saying, why did I do this? Was it a stupid purchase? Why didn't I have any forethought? Did you know all this time that it would be here at this moment beside my books? He didn't answer me, but I just felt in my spirit he was like. I do things. Now you do marvelous things. Marvelous things. But if you would have told me, I would have been like, oh. I mean, it's too nice of a sofa to get rid of. I even tried to give it to people. I don't really have a need for it. I already bought this other sofa from you. I don't need this. <laughs> Just put it in storage. Just put it in storage. It's too nice. It's brand new. It's very comfy. And now here it is, perfectly working. Did I think that that would have fit so perfectly in my life now? Absolutely not. And what if I would have threw it away? I don't think it would have been a sin, but then I would have been hunting for the very thing that I threw. You know, I think I need a chaise sofa that has a chaise like right here, maybe like a light cream color. That's probably good. like the one you had that you gave away. Yep, like that one. That's the one I should probably have. <laughs> Probably should should have valued that a little bit more. Okay. Paul preaches the story and the history of Israel. How what they've picked is not necessarily what God would want for them. He preaches and discusses with them all sorts of aspects of their life. But I want to focus on verse 26 for right now. Verse 26 reads, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To you, the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Stop right there. Paul is saying, listen, children of Abraham, all of us, men of faith. God has sent his word to you first. And he sent it to you who fear God. Now this statement is, is, is it's paramount because fearing God is the first step. In order to hear the gospel when you originally got it wrong, you have to have some type of fear that says, even though I'd be devastated to know this, even though it could change every aspect of how I live, I cannot afford for God to be angry with me. That's the first step. The fear of the Lord. 
And most people miss that when they come to salvation, especially modern Christian. They come and go, oh, he forgives everything like he's some patsy, you know. And they receive what they will and they pick what they want and they choose throughout all the scriptures of how it benefits them. So when someone says something that goes against your opinion of God, you, you've had them. When they say something that goes against what you've always thought and how you've always been instructed and what you always felt, this then arises without any fear of the Lord, absolute rejection. But fear of the Lord says, well, hold on. <laughs> what if they're right? Hello? And you could say, well, I've been there. When I left Christianity for the first four years of my college life, I left Christianity, studied all kinds of religions, had more questions than I had answers. Came back to God and decided to start all over again learning. And I teach you the same way that I feel the Holy Spirit has taught me throughout my years. And that is every question that you have with God, you address it. You don't shrink back from it because you are afraid it might deteriorate your faith. You know what you do with those questions. I don't quite understand this, and I'm afraid that it might unravel some things, so I just don't address it. Yeah. Now, while we can get a little um, overwhelmed by Sister Glenda's theological questions, how, yes, I'm talking about you, how we can go, oh my God, that is so deep. Why is she even way over there? We all must admit that she has always been willing to give the questions that could very well unravel her faith. And she sometimes stands in tears as I give her words that begin to shake the foundation that should have never been established, that she might have a firmer foundation in who God is. And it is frightening. Yeah. Most people don't want to do it. What? I, well, if that's, if, if God is, if, if he created Satan, did he create evil? Is did, Never mind, I don't even want to just. <laughs> and we ignore these things, but they don't stay inactive in our lives, do they? No, because when morality comes up and immoral things come up, these questions come up as witnesses as to why our choices of immorality are right. They rear their ugly head and say, it's fine if you do this because you don't really know this. And it's fine if you do that because you don't really know that. And it's fine if you do this because. And so now these once harmless questions you thought you had that you never really tackled become witnesses to your sin. Jesus. Hello? Y'all sleepy? It seemed like y'all sleepy. I thought we was going to a good place today. If you want to take your mask off, you can take your mask off. People are like, who had them on? The few and obedient. Amen. He says, the word of the Lord came to you. And this word of salvation has been sent. It's because you did not know God. Nor did you know the voices of the prophets, which you read every Sabbath. 
And the voice is here is to say the perspective, the view, how the prophets saw things. You hear the words every Sunday, but you really don't have the view and perspective of those that you're reading. You see what Paul has done, but you don't see it from Paul's eyes. How is, you understand? You stand on the outside of Christianity, bearing witness to it, but not really in it to the point that we're now looking at your life story and how you died for the cause and how you gave this up for Christ and how you, we're not doing that because you're not seeing it from the perspective and the view of the prophets themselves. You're reading it as a story, but not climbing into that thing and looking at it through their eyes. Because when you do that, it forces you to look at your life. Yeah. I can't tell you how many scriptures I've read, and it's some story about how Paul endured something. It's always Paul enduring something. <laughs> Every once in a while, it's a Moses or whatever, and, and I'm like, man, that was very powerful how he was able to do that. Man, I really wish God could do that something like that in me. I don't even know if I could do what he did. And sure enough, if something don't happen in my life, and instantly that story comes rushing back to me, and I know in a split second, you're supposed to do that Paul thing that you read. You're supposed to be doing the Moses thing that you read. You're supposed to be doing the thing that you just saw. This only happens when you actually see it from their perspective, not when you just read it as an account, as a narrative or a story. When the word of God, you climb into that bad boy and you start seeing it, you be like, oh, so I'm not supposed to cuss out this attendant right here. I'm, I'm absolutely not. I am supposed to give you five. I'm supposed to give you extra of my money. When you gave me horrible service, I'm, yep, I am, I am, I am. I see that. I see that so clearly. How did you see it? Because you heard the voice of the prophets that you read. The children of Israel, at this point, Paul and Barnabas are preaching, and Paul is preaching, saying, y'all did not get this. And he wanted you to have it first and foremost. The Father wanted you to have it because, in essence, all the Gentiles were going to be saved through your salvation. You were going to come to him, right? And then they were going to come to him through you. So he came to you first, saying, ta-da! Here's what everything the prophets have been saying. Have you been looking at God through the prophet's eyes? Have you been seeing the Messiah through the voice of the prophets? Have you been climbing into how the prophets have been viewing this suffering servant? And if you did, then you will see him when he shows up. Right? You ain't been doing that. It's obvious. As you did, and thus, you condemn Christ. And in essence, fulfilled what the prophet said had to happen. Y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to help me today. Huh? Hello? It's, 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 let me show you you here for a second. God gave you a warning, a promise, a declaration of what he wanted to do in advance. Yes? He told you this is what I want you to do. When the day comes, this is how I want you to act. When this day shows up, this is what I want. You say, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, sure, I can do that, uh-huh, sure, okay. And then that day shows up. And since there was time between the time he told you 
and the time that it actually arrived, your perception of those events have changed. Hello, somebody. Initially, when he said, I'm bringing you a savior, you were all so excited. But the time between the day he declared what he wanted to do and the time that it actually started to happen, you've had some changes in how you've been viewing things. You've had some life experiences. Your budget changed a little bit. Your job changed a little bit. Your health changed a little bit. Your family changed a little bit. And now you're no longer seeing what the prophet said in the same way. Hello? So all of a sudden, the thing that he said he needed you to receive when it shows up happens. You get the phone call. You do not handle that correctly. You get the emotion. You get the event. You get the time. And, it, and, and none of it goes the way he said. You are incapable because during the time from when he said it and the time that it actually started to happen, you were not doing what you was. You are not meditating on what he said. No, you are meditating on haircuts on Instagram. You were meditating on how to get bundles down. To, and you was meditating on how to get your paper up. You was meditating on, no, you got to be an alpha man. You, you was meditating on a whole bunch of stuff. But you did not persistently and consistently meditate on what he said. That didn't stay in you. That was like, got it. And I'm just going to do life. Got it. I won't forget that. Mm -hmm, got it right there. I'm just going to just keep doing. No, no, it's not got it here. It's that's what you're doing. This that he said is what you're doing. What to do with it? That. Just go to work, be thinking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So like just when I get on my dating app, be like, oh, is they a Christian? How much do they love Jesus? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, all of that. But since you didn't, now the thing that God promised actually shows up. Hello? <laughs> now, when he says this thing is going to happen, right? Since you're not prepared to receive it the way he said and to perform what he told you to perform the way he told you to perform it, what he said still happens. But you are on the side fulfilling what he said versus receiving what he said. Did you see that? Because they did not keep God in their hearts and minds. They did not keep the perspective and meditate on that day and night. But other nations and other generations began to corrupt their thoughts and their ways. When the Christ that was promised shows up, they cannot receive him as such. And thus they are a part of what God is doing, but a part of it in such a way that they are fulfilling the condemning of Christ. Them not being ready did not stop Jesus from showing up. Them not being ready did not stop God from doing what he said he was going to do. Hello, somebody. The only thing that happened is they became on the wrong side. The side of fulfilling the will of God and not receiving the blessings of the will of God. Hello? Now what God said was going to happen, it did happen. Hello? It did. You did get a new job. That did happen. It did. But your bad spending habits 
have made sure that that job did not go to the glory of the kingdom, which you thought it was going to go to, but went to other stuff. That did happen. Hello? And now that it goes to other stuff, people go, oh, what happened to recession? recession. I tell you right now, if God is in it, you're going to be fine. Hello, somebody. There's people making money during this time. Why isn't it you? There are people that increase during this time. Did God forewarn you of a recession? Yeah, I was here because I said it. Did he, I mean, did he, when, when the Fed was saying, no, we're not going to increase interest rates, blah, 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 blah. Pastor said, yes, they will. No, uh Pastor, I heard on Bloomberg that they said they're not going to do it. It's going it's, it's to be very slight. They lying. It's going to get up to 8 to 7%. I started pulling people aside that had fixed incomes, people that had low incomes, and started giving them tips on how to stretch their dollar during the recession. Before it hit. Oh, and the food cost is so high, and the food cost is so high. Did you do what I was telling you to do? Because th this is the time you're supposed to. And now you're trying to do it late. <laughs> Too late now. You, <laughs> you don't even have everything set up the way you needed to have it set up in order to do this. I gave you step-by-step -step plans to make sure that your dollar stretched and you came out on top during this rather than below. So what God said was fulfilled. It just included you on a different side. Because you weren't ready. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they fulfilled crucifying him. Because they could not see him as what God had promised. You know, I say, you know, God's will is going to be done no matter what. But it ain't got to be you on the wrong side. Christ was going to have to be slaughtered, but it didn't have to be Judas. What if it was Phil? I don't know. Then we'd be calling people, you a Phil, you know? be a whole other name for it because it's a whole somebody else right and the will of God still would have been done but there's enough patsies out here that don't believe in God and don't want to be right with God and don't but that ain't got to be you there's a lot of Christians that ain't living right and ain't doing right and they still smoking and they still sexing and they still but that don't mean it got to be you there's a lot of believers that have balance, and I'm really trying to focus on this and that, and, 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 and then they end up spiraling downward anyway. But that does not have to be you. And if I'm your shepherd, I am advocating that it's not you. But at some point, I have to recognize church always got scandal. And I don't want it to be none of my sheep, but it will have to be somebody. But it ain't got to be you. Let it be some newcomer that's still trying to learn their bearings. No, nah, but it's the seasoned folk. We're going to start naming stuff after you. Oh, you Torian. 
I just use your picture safe. If I use somebody's name, be like, oh, <laughs> no, you didn't, Pastor. <laughs> that was our personal business. <laughs> Amen? So it says, but they fulfilled uh, what was written concerning him. I just can't get over that. Because you couldn't see what God was doing. You were still involved in what he was doing, but in a different capacity. You became the example of what not to do. Rather than the example of what God can do. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair. You became the example of those that fell away from the faith rather than those that were encouraged and restored and renewed in their faith. You became the example of who pastor excommunicated from the church rather than the example of those that were given mercy to remain. Hello, somebody. Oh, yeah, that's a real thing. Hello? Mm -hmm. And I be praying it won't be you. I pray it won't be you. But unfortunately, some people are very stubborn, set in their ways. And refuse to follow. Following can cover so much. You can slip up and you got a good covering. It's all right. Why is it all right for them? Because I'm covering them. Who's going to check me? Look. That's what they do. Well, why, Pastor? Why such and such ain't get set now? Because I said they didn't. <laughs> That's not fair. Okay. You want fairness? You wouldn't be here. <laughs> no, I called it. They can say you got to go. I don't like it. What else is new? Maybe this is a circumstance to which you must succeed, and that is doing faith, being faithful when something happens that you don't like. Now, can you be faithful when it happens that you don't like? Is this happening? Is something you don't like, something you disagree with? Let's see if you can excel in that. Only to come to find out what was chosen was right. And you've been fighting on the wrong side the entire time. Y'all say amen, because some of y'all have experienced this. I did, I did. I, I was like, no. Then I was like, ooh, that was kind of right. Ooh. Come back. You know, Pastor, two years ago when you had said you was right, two years ago I was. I didn't want to tell you at the time, but you was spot on. <laughs> Thank you. I wish you would have proclaimed that then to everyone, but you know, it's cool. They took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 33 says, and God fulfilled this for us, their children. He made this promise to, the, to our fathers. Then he fulfilled this promise to us, the kids of them that he made the promise to. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This was all about being sons of God. The restoration of Adam, of mankind. The suffering servant that we see in the prophets points to the idea that a sonship was being born again. It's one thing. How great is our God? How great is our God? It's one thing to create, 
something this beautiful, to create someone as beautiful as you, right? That's one thing. It is an immeasurable amount of might to once you have created it and the thing is completely trashed that you can then take that thing and make it new again. It's one thing to make a Tory, you understand? And then when Tory messes up a Tory, beyond all recognition, hello somebody, that Jesus comes back and says, I will make Tory new again. I ain't never seen them. It's one thing to make a Monifa. Hello, somebody. And Monifa mixes it up and racks up a good old Monifa to the point that you can't even recognize a Monifa. Then he shows up and says, I will make this Monifa new again. That's some incredible might right there. That's some incredible. That's some power. Hello, somebody. Now, we can all talk about creation. Hello, somebody. We can argue about creation, but I want to tell you about recreation. Can you answer to me how you take, come on, somebody, some dirt and some scum and some darkness, and you pull out light from darkness? Can you explain that to me? You know how to turn light to dark, but you don't know how to get light out of dark. Can you explain this to me? Hello? Now you know how to take something and make more. But can you tell me how you take nothing and make everything? I don't, I, then when everything goes haywire and everything is deteriorating and everything is dying and everything is succumbing to sin and death and wickedness, how do you make it better? How do you make it right again? Not even better, how do you make it right? And perfect. No matter what you give me and I restore it, it will never be new again. It will be a repaired version of this original mistake. We are not that. We are born again. We're not a restored version of ourselves, a healed version of ourselves. We are a new creature. That's a powerful God right there. This is how Paul is preaching. Brothers, look at what he did with us. Look how he made us into a people, a nation, a group. And then we messed it up. And he came back and he's going to make it better. He's going to restore it as if it never happened. Make us the kingdom he always wanted us to be, the people that he always wanted us to be, and the children of Israel. And then he's going to, watch this, take every nation that did not believe in him, cause them to see him through us, that they might be their own nation, but under God. They'd have their own language, but no God. They'd have their own cultures, but no God. They have their own affinities, but no God in the same way, in the same way that we know God. Woo! That's one thing to be raised in this thing. It's a whole other thing to not even be raised in it than become it. That's a mighty God. It was no seed 
of Abraham in this person. Y'all don't want to play fair. There was no seed of Israel in this person. There was no seed of the church in this person. There was no, I never, my grandmama, granddaddy went to church. My uncle was a pastor. There was nothing there. And then blammo, they're everything that a believer can be. That's somebody God. That's a mighty God. It's a powerful God right there. This is the heart which Paul is preaching. Skip to verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He says, it is through this Messiah that you crucified. It is through him that your sinful ways and not an inability to see the Messiah for who he really was, who still manifested the will of God, that this was carried out. And it is now through him having been raised from the dead that we are now standing preaching to you the forgiveness of sins. That all this in our history is forgiven by him. And we are preaching this through him and his resurrection. We're able to preach because he died and then he got up. Now we have all kinds of power in the Holy Spirit to come and preach this to you. It's, it's him. It's like he's the, he's, the, he's the backer of everything. He made it possible for us to come and preach this to you. That there's forgiveness in him. Maybe you didn't know it, but now that hindsight, you're looking back at it. Hello, somebody. Maybe you didn't know it because you was in it. Maybe it was too close to you. Hello, somebody. Maybe you didn't really have it. He made too many mistakes to really see it clearly. But now what we're going to do is we're going to give you a gift by him. He sent us as a gift to then tell you, now look back at this thing one more time. Can you see it yet again? Can you see really what he's offering you here? Can you really see what he's trying to get you to do? Now look at it again. That you could be forgiven. Here it is again. Now you're not in it. You're not too close to it. You got hindsight. You're going to look back. Is this your final answer? Is this a no? Or can this be a yes? Huh? Right. And I love what he says here, this, this word here. Huh? He says, let me, let me tell, I'm glad y'all asked. Y'all better, y'all better make this for me. I like it when you do that. Oh, wait, let me, let me show you. <laughs> and by him, everyone who believes is justified. Yes. From all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The word justified, it caught me off guard. Because when I think of justification, I'm like, justification. And uh, immediately my brain goes to the theological tool we use as just as if I never sinned. But they didn't have that theological tool when they wrote this. So they weren't thinking justified just as if I never sinned. They were thinking justified by its actual meaning. So let's take a look at that. Something that is justified is an adjective. 
An adjective is a type of word that describes a noun. Having done for or marked by a good or legitimate reason. So, and by him we preach to whoever believes is justified, is marked by a good and legitimate reason. Of everything that the law could not give good or legitimate reasons to. Right. <sighs> Often fuss at people when they're trying to justify wrongdoing. You're trying to make what you did reasonable. Uh-huh. You're trying to make it reasonable. And I argue with them about this because I feel personally that according to my salvation, I do not justify anything of myself. If he doesn't justify it, it's not justifiable. Okay, you want to see it another way? If Danny stepped on my foot, you knew I was. That's the like, foot, foot card ain't about the same in my head. Okay. <laughs> if Danny steps on my foot, and I'm like, ah, 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 and she says, I just didn't see you. I'm sorry. I was doing a whole bunch of things. I didn't see you. This is her making what happened reasonable. But at the moment of my pain, I really don't care to hear. I didn't see you because I was rushed. You know, I had a rough day. And y'all do this. I had a really rough day all day today. You know, I woke up and I'm just, ah, ah. You know, you know, it's just, oh, if you could have been there, man, it was just rough. My boss was fussing at me. It's just going on and on and on and on and on yeah. to make this mistake more reasonable. Yeah. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah. If you committed the offense, hello, somebody, then the offense, the one who bore the offense does not want to hear any of your justifications, any of your what is reasonable about this mistake, because we don't want to hear about how your mistake was reasonable. We want to hear how sorry you are that under any circumstances this happened. That's it. That's what every human being wants. Where do you get that trait from? From God. So I get indignant when people try to justify wrongdoing. I, just wanna, I thought you wanted to hear me. No, not, I don't really want to hear you say it. I need you to figure out where you made your mistake. But I do not care to hear your reasonings for why you are so offensive. All I want to hear is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Under no circumstances was that acceptable. Under no circumstances should I have responded or acted that way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all anybody wants to hear. And then they can choose. Okay, but what happened? Why did you? Well, I just didn't. What happened was I just I really, I looked down to grab my pen and I inadvertently stepped on your foot. Oh, okay. I thought it was something else. See, now they get to say that's reasonable. The person who bore the offense. 
the God who bore the sin, y'all don't want to help me today, the person who bore the offense then gets to say, this is a reasonable offense. How do I know? Because I became flesh. I dwelled in their body. I can tell you that that is a reasonable mistake. I can, I, I can, I can attest to what they're going through. I can feel what they were feeling. I can tell you that is a reasonable mistake. Just breaking down theology for you, just breaking it down. This is basic theology on justification. The one who bore the offense can now add justification. But the offender should not. There's no true repentance. I'm sorry, but the only reason I did it was I'm sorry, but the only reason I said it was, the only reason I lied, Pastor, is because you're going to kick me out of the church. Bad choice. I feel no sympathy for this. I'm sorry, Pastor, the only reason I did it was because I was hungry. You do better by just immensely apologizing with no other justification. Do you think that your reasons for doing this are so far from my understanding? Any human being, which Christ became, could understand why you would do such a thing. Any human being could understand why you would do such a thing. But the unmitigated goal for you to add the reason why you did it to your repentance or apology is a sign of pride and self-righteousness. No, you have some air about you that feels like your reasoning for this exceeds everybody else's who do it for worse reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So your better reasons need to be explained. Yeah. No, pastor, it's because I really love the church. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Mm -mm. You don't. And the fact that you think this is a proper justification further lifts you up with pride. Because true humility says there is no excuse. I got my first ticket in over 10 years recently. Super speeder. I was going 70 and a 45. And I must admit, the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. I'm not even gonna lie, we were just talking about speeding and tickets, me and him, in the car, three minutes prior. But my puffed upness took the conversation as a regular dialogue about how, you know, most times, you know, cops ain't even over here, and you know, I got a Benz. They, they be saying how people in business don't get pulled over. It's not true. And the fact that the Lord was so kind as to discuss this with me, I mean, we were just, I was like, we were just talking about that. Oh, you were trying to tell me to slow down. Oh, phew, missed that. <laughs> so used to speeding that I missed that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> truly, when I'm running late, I do speed. When I'm not running late, I don't speed. <laughs> I mean, to y'all, I don't, listen, anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, I, uh, the cop pulled me over. He was like, ma'am. He had a little gun. 
you're going 70 and 45? I was like, you're absolutely right. He's like, no, that's speeding. Yes, it is. Do you have your license? I do. He wrote the citation, came back, he gave the information. I said, thank you. I said, I'm so sorry about that. He said, you said you're sorry. Yes. I broke the law. It doesn't matter that I was late. It doesn't matter that I was running for a doctor's appointment. It's all my fault, 100%. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's going to tear up the ticket. He did not. But he said, if you go to court, I will advocate with you that your points are reduced. I said, do I feel like going to court, though? <laughs> I, need the, I don't need them points. I'm going to take my insurance guy. But, uh, but I guess what I'm, trying, what I'm trying to use the example of is there is a way that you respond when you are wrong. And explaining why you did wrong is not the way. And some of you have your opinions of yourself and your motives so high that you really think you need to explain this because you're afraid that we, won't, that we might think you're this type of person. Baby, you are. If you did it, this is the type of person you are. It does not matter your explanation, but you are so used to explaining your way, doing one thing, and then saying something else. And what agitates you with me is, I don't care what you say. Yeah. I look exactly at what you do. If you push my buttons, I will run everything that you do in order to justify why I view you the way I do. That's pretty much that you are not quite who you need to be. <laughs> and we can go in arguments, some of us have. Well, I only did that because, I only said that because, I only responded to that way because, what you're doing is you are justifying yourself. Hello? And you were the offender. It is the mercy of the individual that you offended, in this case, God, that he would justify what you have done. That he makes it he makes it right when it was completely wrong. Another definition of the word justified is in linguistics or printing. You can fully justify a margin. Anybody remember that is? That's when you take the words of a sentence or multiple sentences and you space them out so that there's straight lines on both sides. Each sentence starts at the same spot and ends at the same spot in a straight line. That's called justified, a justified margin. Naturally, that sentence did not end exactly where the other sentence ended, but it was made to be in line. Some changes that are almost impossible to the naked eye to recognize have been adjusted within that writing to make everything line up. But in of itself, it had no ability to line itself. If you let it run, it's gonna have some of the sentence gonna be over here, down here, back to over there, back to here, new paragraph, one word on the bottom line. What one word, how did it, it look stupid, got one word on the bottom line. 
Damn, we didn't take out a word. Now you're trying to adjust everything just to get it to fit. I don't even need that extra the. They'll, they'll, they'll know. <laughs> In theology, the word justified means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. In order to see that fully in terms of the word justified, you have to break that theological definition of justified down even more. Declared or made in right standing in the sight of God. I think sometimes we confuse righteousness with sinlessness. And it's true because your sins are forgiven, but the righteousness comes because you are in right standing with him. Hello? I heard two friends talking about another friend. And they said, hey, friend, has your other friend paid back that money? And the friend that was uh, the loaner of the money said, no, not yet, but they're in right standing. They're caught up. But has the loan been paid back? No. But they're in right standing. Y'all don't want to help me today. You don't, you don't want to help me today, huh? The debt is still owed. Come on, come on. Y'all don't want to play fair today. But between me and them, they have done sufficiently for me not to have any offense with them as it relates to the carrying of this debt. Christ comes along and says, I will bear the sins of, come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. I will bear the sins that you might say, that God can say, you are in right standing with me. Well, has the debt been paid? Not as of yet, but they're in right standing. But there will come a day where every man will come before the throne of God. Justified. Come on, somebody. Justified. Put in, made in right standing in the sight of God. Made in right standing. I'm justified by Christ. He bore my sin. Has paid a debt that I cannot pay. Proof and evidence will be of that when I have to go pay my debt, he will show up. And will say, their debt has been cleared. Till then, I am in right standing. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Till then, I am made in right standing with God. Sit on down, sit on down. That's why I only got four verses on here. The rest of it is theology, which I know very well. <laughs> By God's grace and mercy and through his spirit, he takes those, that information and he breathes the breath of life on it. And it ignites in your spirit. Do you feel that? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what you're breathing in right now. That's, why this guy so excited about that? This the, this the gospel, baby. Did what we be saying, did what you be saying. I knew it was right, but ooh, it's so right. I knew it was good, but ooh, it's so good. I knew he was great, but oh, he's so great. 
I knew he was mighty, but oh, he's so mighty. I knew he was forgiving, but oh, he's so forgiving. I knew he was wise, but oh, he's so wise. I knew he was merciful, but oh, he's so very merciful. That's the gospel, baby. That's the gospel. Amen. Sit on down. Justified. So much more than just as if I never sinned. So much more. So much more. It is that, but it's deeper than that. The work of it is deeper. Marked by a good or legitimate reason. Made in right standing in the sight of God. This is why the scripture says when he sees you, he sees his son. Hello. You are made in right standing in the sight of God. I see you. I see Jesus. I see my son, that's you, that's him, okay. It ain't really you. He sees Jesus. And we are in him and he and is us. Come on, in us, come on, somebody. Oh, oh, this is you, are so good to us, okay. Oh, I'm so glad you ain't really see, I mean, you see me, but you really see him. And that has made me right in your sight. Let's move on. One more verse for today. We're at 38. Let it be known to you, thank you, brethren, that though this man is preached to you forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law. All your attempts to obey the law never justified you. We got some people that have heard this before because I've preached the gospel quite often here. All right. <laughs> and there are some that are just now awakening to this concept. Could you say that again, Pastor? Yes. All of your obedience to the law never justified you. All of your desire and your attempts to do right never and can never put you in right standing with God. I'll do it. Let's, let's, do, it. let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. All of your obedience to the law, to pastor, never, to God himself, whatever he said, it never, nor can it ever, justify you in his eyes I'll do it again every time you're obeying God every time you do what he tells you to do it cannot nor will it ever be possible that that could put you in right standing okay this is more this is the gospel and this is the theology of justification okay all right this is hard for us to fathom when you really break it down because everything in us goes back to, I need to do right 
so that I can be right in God's eyes. And if left unattended, like a sheep, a flock of sheep with no shepherd, you go right back to doing right in order to be right. And you equate how much I do right with how right of a person I am. It doesn't exist. It's not possible for any human being to be made right through what they do. It's, I can't take waste and turn it into food. Let me do it again. If you can't take your poo and turn it into a meal, no matter what you do, you know why? Because everything that could be used has already been taken from it. Your body has already pulled out everything that was of good use. So this is the refuse. What is left after everything is taken that was needed. Hello? I cannot take the poo and make it into a meal. You cannot take your leftover actions of death. Everything you do is death. Y'all don't want to play fair today. The, the skin that you have on is dying. The breath that you're breathing is living. The intentions that you have are sinful. The intents of your heart are iniquitous. Everything about you, apart from Christ, all right, is nothing but death and refuse. You cannot take that and then make it useful because the good and the spirit of God has been removed from, come on somebody, what is good and life-giving is no longer in it. Hello? So you could take the poo and shape it into look like a piece of chicken. It ain't going to be chicken. No matter what you do to it, no matter how much care you put into it, how much science, it has no value. It has nothing that promotes life in of itself because life has been taken from it. Come on, somebody. So thus, there's nothing you can do in of yourself that could ever put you in right standing with God. I don't care how many songs in the church you sing. I don't care how many dances you dance. I don't care how many cigarettes you stop smoking, how many more people you don't sleep with. None of this puts you in right standing with God. All you have is actions of poo being turned into more poo. Lifeless. Void of it. Only when his spirit is given to you do you have life. And that life isn't to make you in right standing. That's a byproduct. Only when his spirit enters you, now do you have life. Hello? 
That life in itself that you have isn't what puts you in right standing. That right standing is a byproduct of the idea that he sees his son in you. So now, trying to shed, this is, this is, this is the thing, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm getting to my last point for the day. Let's, let's skip on. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all like gospel. Look at you. The modern church is not dead. They do have an appetite for the gospel. Let's go on to verse 44. Paul and Barnabas continue to preach and teach, and Paul delivers this excellent sermon. Um, but the Jews, they, they, they were not having it. The Gentiles begged that they would come back on next Sunday and preach some more. And they did. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew even more bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to Gentiles. Stop right there. This judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. I know we like to think in our most pious stance that we don't receive Christ and everlasting life because we know we are too ratchet, too down bad. That's not true. It's not. This is a question of your morality. Human beings will not reject everlasting life because they don't think they're worthy. If you are falling off a cliff, here, take my hand, I'm not worthy. <laughs> Says no one. You can have a contagious disease. They'll be like, take my hand. I'm not worthy. And you're like, no. <laughs> See how that doesn't make any sense? No. More often, we don't say we're not worthy in the sense of we, have, we don't deserve it. But this is a matter of morality. We don't want to give up something. So we hide it under the idea that I'm just not worthy. But it's really you don't want to give up the thing that you think makes you unworthy. It's I don't remember what I said. You don't want to give up the thing that you feel makes you unworthy. That's it. You don't want to give it up. You don't really believe that you're not worthy of it because if you give me everlasting life, I will take that. But I know that in order to get this everlasting life, I have to give up the thing that I know continues to make me feel unworthy. And to be honest, I don't want to give that up. So I am too gone. I'm a lost cause. I'm too, I'm too foul. And that's what you're saying. Just leave me alone. 
and let me stay in my filth. Hello? So the scripture can't be referring to humans or Jewish people actually feeling like, oh, we're not worthy of everlasting life. No, far be it for us to have it. No, they would take it if they could get it. All right? But this word, these words are better described in another way. Their meaning is more so not about, because the, the term worthy has two different, two different definitions that can run into, into each other, but could also stay very much apart. So the word worthy could mean deserving, and it could also mean fit. Hello? A workman is worthy of his hire, is fit for hire. Hello? I asked somebody, said, well, pastor, um, <laughs> I heard such and such was having a service, and they was charging people to come into the service. I said, they said, do you agree with that? I said, I don't know. I said, if they're not a licensed minister, it's not like they can take up offerings, so I'm pretty sure they have to charge for their services. But I do think that their price point might be a bit high since no one has seen evidence of their fitness. You're charging $150, and this is your first? We don't even know if you fit for that price. Are you worthy of this price? Oh, come on, because when I was evangelizing, hello, somebody. You got paid an honorarium based off of what your reputation said. Yeah. 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 Sure. I was getting $20, $50, $75, $100, little pennies. And I had no reputation. <laughs> Hello, somebody. <laughs> Later on, it's like, oh, no, no. Who come to your church? Oh, we're going to have to get some money. We're going to have to do something. We're gonna And the lady said, well, ma'am, how much do you charge to do a, a weekend service? Out of town? She said, yes, ma'am. I said, I don't charge anything, but I do accept love offerings. She said, okay, well, on average, yeah. how much do you normally receive in love offerings? And this is when I got ladder on by the help of God and grace. I said, uh, for one service, it's about $1,000 or so. $1,000? That must include travel. No, ma'am, that does not include my travel. Ma'am, how did you get my number? Well, Pastor such and such said that he said, and then somebody else said that they had you at your church, and you, you tore it up. So I have a reputation. So I am fit for my hire. Yes. Now, I don't make this mandatory, never have. But you asked about the average. And I told you about the average. But after she was so shocked, I didn't want to do the service. I was like, never mind. I'm just <laughs> you know, like, oh, Pastor, we love you. Well, you know, our little congregation, we don't know if we can. Oh, that's fine. Sure, 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 sure. Not a problem, not a problem. Five hundred dollars. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Fit. So the word worthy has two meanings that can run into each other, or they can be completely separate: deserving or fit. Right? 
to be fit. What's a, what's a good, a good, good use of the word fit? Um, he is uh, worthy um, uh, to be for something, or is he's obviously qualified? Yeah, he's he is worthy of of that position. Not necessarily deserving, but he's fit for that position. He's a worthy uh, uh, adversary. He's a good fit for an enemy. Do you understand? Yes? They can also run into each other. Fit and deserving could run simultaneously together, but they can also be very separate. In this case, the word worthy is being used not in terms of deserving, because we already covered that, but it's being used in terms of fit. Yes? So since you reject it because you judge yourselves not fit of everlasting life. So we got the worthy part down. Let's look at the word judge. This word judge is not being used to say that you observed and concluded something. It's being used to, uh, what is the word, to add, what is, uh, it's an, uh, Adjudicate is the word I'm looking for. It is to say that by your own admittance, the consequence is that you are unfit. You did not conclude that you were unfit, but you rejecting him educated unfitness. Okay. You did not judge or you did not observe. Say, you know, I came to the conclusion that I'm just not fit. No, that's not what happened. You came to the conclusion and denied Christ. And by that, that action, it judged you as not being fit. Okay? The, 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 the order of court would say that since this is true, that you reject Christ, then the judgment in itself is that you are unfit. So technically, you judge yourself and that you condemned yourself by rejecting Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Just. So it's not saying that you concluded that you are unworthy. It's saying that by rejecting Christ, inadvertently, you've already sealed your judgment as being unfit. You, you, you put yourself in the, I did it. Then that means we have to now give you these consequences if you did it. Were you speeding? Yes. That means you, by law you have to pay this money. <laughs> right? Okay. Yes? <laughs> now, <coughs> what constitutes unfitness? Is that a word? Yeah. All right, it's today. What constitutes unfitness? Okay, how do we... <laughs> How do we end up living a life where we just don't seem to fit? How do we get here? How did I end up where I don't really seem to fit? There are men who are fit and capable of eternal life. But how did you get in a situation where you are not fit or capable of eternal life. We all have been there. 
Hello, somebody. Some of you are there now. Because if you tell me, Pastor, that all of my obedience does not make me fit. If you're telling me that all my good works does not make me fit for the eternal life. If you're telling me that all my desires to be better, to do good, does not make me fit for the kingdom, then who? Pray tell. It's fit. Now I tell you there are men who are capable and fit for the kingdom of God. Your next question, I'm sure, is, well, how? How were they made fit or capable? Says none of the things that we do actually makes us fit. <laughs> it's as if the whole teaching... <laughs> On justification just went out the window when I have to recognize that you're telling me even when I'm doing good that that doesn't see y'all just learned justification two minutes ago this is the same topic the same definition all I did was turn the image from God's perspective of justification to your re real living it that's all I did I went from, here's what God says about justification. He paid it just in the sight of God. Oh, my God, that's so amazing. And then now when you live it. Okay, but when I live it, this is what it looks like. Yeah. I live it like I need to be obedient so that I could fit to inherit eternal life. I need to do the will of God so that I could fit into justification and fit in order to have eternal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh, pastor. No. No, it goes against, that thought goes against what we just learned, that there's nothing you can do. That's good, Pastor. That's good, Pastor. That's good. This is how you end up getting that trap. So, I think we first have to start with understanding what eternal life is. Let's start there. Okay, so I know I'm justified through Christ. So when I be doing good stuff, that don't, that don't, that don't count for nothing. Because I be thinking that, Lord, if I did this, then, and I hate to say this, Pastor, I'm entitled to some blessings. I, if I gave this up, then I'm entitled for a good marriage at least. If I decided to do this, then I, meant, then I feel like I have earned, deserved, made fit for, worthy. And you just told me that none of that stuff makes me fit for the eternal life. Then why is we doing any of this? Oh, come on now. I know I got me some. Well, if I can't have that, then why am I even doing this folk in the house? Come on, come on now. Raise your hand. If I can't do that, why even go through all this? If it ain't going to work out, then why am I even doing this? If I can't have that, then why is it even working? If I, don't, if I ain't got no guarantee, why even? I ain't got none of them in the house. Come on, don't. I'm just making sure I'm in the right house. Make sure this message is for that them people right there. It's for them people. Okay, 2137 Kingston Court. All right, great. Okay, all right, great. All right, great, 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 great. great. 
there are men and women who are fit and capable of eternal life. Who they are and what fitness is can only be ascertained when we rightly understand what eternal life is. You ready? All right. This comes from Matthew Henry's commentary. Eternal life is not merely future blessedness or synonym for a vulgar heaven. Remember, this is Matthew Henry. So what he's saying is eternal life is not merely a future point of happiness or some meager description of heaven. Okay. That is a common notion of its meaning. Men and women think of the future, of that future, as a blessed state to which God can admit anybody if he wills. And, as he is good, will admit pretty much nearly everybody. Pretty much. I may have a hard time trying to think, he's so good. We down here struggling. And what are y'all doing? He's probably going to admit just about everybody. You nobody else think that? I be thinking it. I be thinking it's probably going to be a lot more people than I ever thought. And then I look as a pastor at some of y'all be like, it's gonna, not going to be a lot. It's not. It's not going to be a lot. Because they over here thinking they're doing something. They ain't even doing nothing. You think you're really making food with that? That is just poo reshaped. It's just. It's not a, just a future state of blessedness. But eternal life is a present possession as well as a future possession. Mm -hmm. Eternal life is a present possession as well as a future possession. All my theologians is going, yeah, that's about right. She's using different words, but yeah, that's, that's biblical. Everybody that don't know theology is like, how is... How is eternal, eternal life present is, is, is when we die. But if you don't die, then when did it start? Eternal, this, I told you, you first have to understand what eternal life is. So we can come to the conclusion, you did not understand this. Okay. Eternal life is a present possession. And the reason that when you think of it as a future possession, you automatically are wrong because the fact says that if it's future when you die and you don't die, then when did you get it? We don't die. We sleep. As soon as the, the beggar took his last breath, opened his eyes, he was in heaven. He never died. He's still alive. He's, he doesn't cease to exist. He's not separated from God. He's further with life and continuing in life. Do you remember, if Christ is life, and life has been removed from earth, from sin and death, hello somebody, yes? In order to have life, you have to have him in you. So if you have him, then when did you die? I remember when you died, but I also remember when you were born again. Make sense? When life was given to you. When you were born, you weren't given life. You were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But there's a point where you were given life. By the Spirit of God. Yeah. Hello, somebody. At that point, you were made new, born again, a new creature. 
that particular individual will not die, but will pass through death into eternal life. That ability had to happen presently. Since you don't die, then eternal life has to be a present condition. Okay, that, 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 that y'all are saying, yeah, some people are confused. Okay. <laughs> because at what point did you get eternal? Not when you died, right? When you got born again. So eternal life first is a present possession as well as a future possession. If you are saved by Christ's spirit now, you are currently living your eternal life. Oh my goodness! All of a sudden, light bulbs went off like, this is it. This is it. Some people are like, oh crap. <laughs> I didn't do this right. <laughs> I did not do this right. You need to start over. You need to get real life put into you after service today. For those of us who have received Christ, we are actually living our eternal life. We're not going to die as though as some did. We're just going to wake and cross right on over from one destination to another destination in continuing our life. And then we're going to come on back and continuing our life in a different manner when he cracks the sky and brings his church with him. We have quite an interesting life ahead of us. And similar to the gift of David, we're given just the seed. This is just the seed, babies, of what eternal life really is. Y'all don't want to play fair today. This is just the King David to the Messiah. This is just the beginning of what it really is. Y'all don't. This is why I love theology. <laughs> One of the first lessons I've ever taught was on the, uh, the theological concept of glorification. First time the Holy Spirit ever fell in, ever fell in one of my teachings. It was one of my first. And the whole congregation filled with tears. And I knew then, nothing beats the authentic gospel. It's powerful. It's powerful. Other churches that don't preach the gospel but preach self-help, faith, family, and finance, they don't know what they're really missing. The gospel get all that other stuff. <laughs> it'll work out. It'll work out. Where was I? Ah, it's just a seed. This is a seed, which is why you bury the seed. Come on, somebody. You bury the seed as you grow into your, your Messiah. Come on, somebody. And if you're doing this right, like if you're really possessing eternal life here, 
then you are excited about the eternal life that is to come. When you are not possessing eternal life here, then you have no excitement for what is to come. How do I know? Because you would die in your sins here. You say you're excited about heaven, but you put it all on the line for a quick orgasm. You say you're excited about heaven, but you put it all on the line for a quick high. You put it all on the line for, for a little bit of anger. Put it all on the, hello, so, mm, You don't really see eternal life because eternal life is seen presently and you ain't even got the seed of it. Because if you give me a seed of a great thing that is to come, every time I look at this seed, I get excited. And if somebody want to take my seed from me, I, I will bite your hand off. Don't you dare touch my seed of what is to come. This is an investment of what God is doing. I see plainly because now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You ain't really been given the seed of the kingdom. Because you don't fight to preserve it. Sit on down. You mean this is, I got, this is it. This is really nice. It gets better. It gets better than this. It gets way better. If somebody tries to persecute me to take my seat, hold on, uh-uh, 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 mm-mm. Give it up, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Hand it over, mm-mm, mm-mm. Come on, you too weak, give it to me, mm-mm. Nope, nope, come on, give it to me, come on, give it to me. You don't want that no more, come on, I'm gonna make your life miserable, I'm gonna make your life miserable. Give it over, hand it over, hand it over. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Why don't you just give me a little, just give me a little bit of your seed. Come on, just, just give me a little, come on. Come on, well, I won't tell nobody. Come on, just this one time. Just let me hold it for a second for you. Come on, just, you know you need a break. Ain't you tired? Ain't you exhausted? Come on, you've been going through so much. Just let me hold that for you for just a second. Sound familiar? And it's funny because when they come sweet and soft, y'all don't even notice. Men and women alike, y'all be clueless. People come sweet and soft with me, I be like, but pastor, I love you and I love the church and I love that you're so pretty and you're so, and you're so anointed. Yeah, about that. I think you're messing with the kingdom. You're out. Moi? I read the judgments. People like, I mean, I knew you was vicious, but hello. I'm nothing come between me and him. I don't care how much I love you. My own mama couldn't, and I don't love nobody as much as I love her. Nothing. You mess with his stuff, I feel like you're messing with him. 
we are no longer friends. Coaches end our friendship. No, you ended our friendship when you decided to oppose the things of God. Our friendship was based on kingdom-mindedness. Our relationship was based on it. I'm your friend and your pastor, Pastor Trump's friend. Every time. Every time. Oh, Pastor, I'm talking to you as a friend and slice me up. Yes, because I thought you knew. Pastor always Trump's friend, baby, always, always. Always. It's better you learn now. You just want to pass the mode on me. I thought you, you'll get the hang of it. You'll get the hang of it. We were just chilling. Slice. See, you chill too hard. See, you chill too hard. That was moving against the kingdom. Now you out. I'm sorry. Eternal life, can you see it now? Is a present possession as well as a future one. And now, there's some deeper explanations and aspects of the kingdom. But let's go over a couple of main ones that the kingdom and eternity does include. Let's look at what eternal life does include. There are some deeper theological ones, okay? But let's just do a couple of the basics, all right? Deliverance from evil habits and desires. Eternal life has that. Write it in your notes. Deliverance from evil, evil habits and evil desires. Eternal life has that, is that. It is that plus some other things, but it is deliverance from evil habits and evil desires. What is evil? Anything that is against the will of God. Anything. If he say don't eat this today, they tell you eat it tomorrow. The day that you eat it, when he said don't eat it, is evil. When he tell you can eat it, then it's no longer evil. But in that moment, it's evil. Sorry, it was not a part of his will that you eat that right now. So does mean we can never be friends? I don't know about never, but I know for right now, it is evil. Why? Because it is not a part of the will of God. Well, how do you know? Do you see your life? <laughs> Evilness is coming as a fruit. So let's get rid of this. Hello? Yeah. See, what's coming, what's coming from your life with that job? Hmm? Probably need to get rid of that. What's coming from your life as a result of that friendship? Get rid of that. What's coming from your life as a result of that connection? Let's get rid of that. See, when you start seeing the fruit that is coming from this, you cannot deny what it's actually resting in. Yeah. Is it making you mean? Volatile? Easily agitated? Frustrated? Is it turning into a liar? What is it doing? It needs to be removed. Hello? Well, what if it's my hand? Cut it off. What if it's such a part of me? Pluck it out. Ah, oh, makes sense now, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what I would do without my lover, I mean left arm.
And the truth of the matter, when some of these relationships that are so not based in true love, if I threatened to cut off your arm or remove the person, you would choose remove the person and keep your own arm. You would. You would think and go, so the rest of my life, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to get one of the prosthetic things. How, how much do they cost? Mm, probably won't be. I can't afford that right now. Does this come, if I cut off my arm, does it come with a prosthetic? Will I get it back? Will I know, do I have a guarantee that meeting this person will work? No. Will they be faithful? I'm not going to tell you that. Will they change their mind? I'm not going to tell you that. But what I will tell you is when we cut off this arm, it's final. <laughs> Y'all was like. Immediately you'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, uh, um, I think we just need to be friends or something, something, maybe not nothing. I, what do I need to do to keep my arm? Because selfish love always has a limit when it comes to giving of self. When I have, when I have to make it cost something that you absolutely in no ways want to give up is when we recognize it was never love. And you have to give it up with no guarantees. No guarantees that this person will continue to satisfy you. Well, if I have no guarantee that they will continue to satisfy me, then why would I give up my arm? It's because you never loved them. Christ died while we were. For God so loved the world that he gave his only. Oh. Love defined by God who is love establishes that whether they do what you want them to do or not, whether they satisfy and fulfill you or not, that because you love them, you will still give of yourself and lay down your life for them. You come to my office with some love that is less than that. We want to get married. Y'all having sex? Sometimes. Stop. We can't. I'm not marrying you. Why not? Because y'all don't love each other. We do love each other. No, you don't. You lust for each other. You go, you codependent for each other. But you don't love each other. Would you lay down your life for that person? See, laying down your life means anything pleasurable you cease to get. And like, I lay down my life and then we live happily ever after together. No, you don't exist. They are now living with somebody new thanks to your sacrifice. That's tough. Oh. So you mean to me, I'm going to give up my life and raising my kids and seeing my family and going to my job and accomplishing all my stuff for you to live it? Yes. 
Nah, if that's what love is, I do not I have never loved anybody. <laughs> exactly. Because your first understanding of what true, authentic love is comes in your relationship with God. You mess that up, your only redo from every bad, traumatic situation in your life and your childhood is not working. That is your, re, your reshaping, your rebirthing, your reforming. It goes from, this is what I was born into, sin, iniquity, and generational curses, to now I'm born into something brand new. And this is you being raised in the brand new. You mess this up, what are you doing? You don't learn how to love God in Christianity? What are you doing? It's a glorified version of loving yourself. Sorry, it's not, it's got a little indignant on that part. It's just, it's, it's, I didn't mean to give you all that heat. It's just, let me pull that heat back. Suck it up, blow it off. I'm gonna blow that off, just blow that. Too hot, cool that off. Eternal life is present possession, as well as future, of deliverance from evil habits and evil desires. If you knew this, if you believed this, right? Let's just take evil desires first. How does eternal life presently, me having possession of eternal life, deliver me from evil desires? Well, let's say I desire to be married, which on the surface sounds very noble. I desire to have someone to hold me and be with me and raise a lovely Christian family and blah, 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 right? I meet someone who also says they desire the same thing. Great. Our love forms in such a way that we're both only loving each other the way we know how, and I don't know if my love for God has really elevated to that. So we fall into sin. We don't stop. We decide to try to make the wrong right by getting married, so at least we're not doing that. Marriage goes through a whole bunch of stuff, blah, 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 blah. You may be in a divorce, maybe enough happily ever after, till death do you part, nobody knows. That's one way. But that falling into sin part, that part right there, with all of your good intentions and desires mixed with the choice and option to get it in a way that is different than what God intended. Because that's, that's available to you. Your belief in eternal life delivers you from the desire to engage in getting that apart from the will of God because you know you're not short on life. What if I never marry? You mean you don't think you'll ever find someone that could truly love you in all of eternity? You know what I mean, Pastor? I mean, what if, what if I, I mean, I want somebody that, you know, not just like spiritually down the road love me. You know, somebody, oh, so you mean sex. Oh, so you mean lust. So why don't you just say you want lust? This is not about love. It's not about love. 
Because eternal life and the possession of eternal life lets you know, even if I don't get that one person that would like, we go do, 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 do his part down the aisle. And I'm pretty sure that God is going to bless me with his love and the love of other people that I could really connect with. And I think I'll be all right. This removes the evil desire for you to have to try to find what you think is love in your own way. Hello? All right, let's do something else. Let's do something less, less complicated. Let's do, I just need a break. I'm stressed. I need a break. Belief in eternal life. Hello? Currently means that when I am stressed, underwhelmed and overwhelmed, hello someone, that I don't have to turn to an alcohol bottle. I don't have to turn to a blunt. I don't have to turn to no crack. I don't have to turn to anything because the kind of rest that I really need, I've already discovered is not in my flesh because I took a nap and I still feel tired. I went to bed and I still feel exhausted. I realized as an adult that the type of rest that I really need is I need a rest in my mind. I need a rest in my heart. I need some type of calmness to overtake me on the inside. And since I possess eternal life, there's no dying in eternal life. That means everyone's living, living well. So in this eternal life that I currently have, there must be some fountain, some fruit, some wind, some something that will sustain and fill me when I am underwhelmed, overwhelmed, and exhausted. I need some type of nutrition that could really empower me yet again. Some type of fuel that can be given to me that rest can't get. If you really believed in eternal life, did you know that the eternal life has the ability to sustain, refresh, revive, and restore. Yes, Amen. You don't possess the kingdom, so thus you have to go somewhere else to get it. I just can't sleep without a good blunt. That's not right. I just can't go to bed without a good orgasm. That's not right. What you're really saying is, I cannot calm myself because I am only flesh. But when you are in eternal life, you know that you, have, you are more than flesh. You are made alive by the spirit of God. And that life runs on something uniquely different than orgasm, hormones, and oxytocin. And it can fuel the flesh. What you put in your flesh has no effect on your spirit. But what you put in your spirit has every effect on your flesh. Hello? So now we can start to see examples of how if you really possessed eternal life and believed in it, how it could give you deliverance from evil habits. Hello, somebody. And what was the other one? And evil desires. Some of you were just now taught eternal life in kingdom. And others of you... Um, just realized you weren't possessing it. Eternal life is and includes 
purity and love of all good, fair, and beautiful things. Purity and love of all good, fair, and beautiful things. I don't trust people that don't get along with no animal. Because most animals of some type, you can pick your own type, cats, dogs, mice, I don't know what you're into. <laughs> but they are so innocent and so depending that if you cannot love and appreciate something that is solely dependent on you and treat it fairly and rightly and love it just for the sake that it, it, it just exists, I don't know if I could trust you. You're too narcissistic. Everything is about you. And it can't even be about a puppy. Has to be about you. You come to my house, I got a new puppy, his name is Roman. He's, he's still a puppy. He is as cute as Duke is cute. Puppy. He is the puppy form of a duke. I'm telling you right now, he is. He is. They get along. And they're in a tribe together. They all walk on their fours and lick people. And <laughs> they're called three chains because they all have gold chains. All three of them together, I have a pack of wild animals. <laughs> and I love Duke. And I love Roman. And I love Bishop. Bishop is a senior dog, and he's geriatric. He's a senior Yorkie. He's set in his ways. He's affectionate, but not so much. Um, he wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it, and he has a hard time listening to me. But when I get my, my bark voice up, Bishop immediately responds. Roman... Everything I do, he still thinks we're playing. Like, yeah, 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 you're mad at me, but are you really mad at me? And I go, oh, no. He is innocent. He is loving. He is kind. He's ultra affectionate. And if you come to my house and he needs anything, Everything stops. You could be mid-tears. <laughs> I just don't understand. Excuse me one second. Roman, you got to go potty? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> true for Roman. It's true for Duke. Everything pretty much stops. I'm sorry. These are dependent creatures and beings that have not yet learned how to navigate emotionally and mentally in the world around them. You are an adult, and you can. So I suggest that you put your adult underwear on and be an adult while we take care of these who have not that ability. Exactly. Now we're going to pause, yes? All right. All right, go ahead. Keep crying. <laughs> I was just saying... <laughs> Purity and love of all good and fair things. That's in eternal life. Communion with God is in eternal life, as well as forgiveness and removal of punishment. 
These are all things that are in eternal life, which is both a present possession as well as a future possession. So, if this is some of the things that come with eternal life, what are the qualifications to make a man fit for possession of such? Since you say, Pastor, it ain't what we do that gives it to us, then how do we become fit for it? Yes, worthy of it. One, it's to know oneself to be unworthy. The first requisite is consciousness of sin leading to repentance. I cannot tell you how many examples I have where people, I say, listen, I'm going to need you to do this, that, and the other. And their brain goes to, I'm going to do this, that, and the other that I might have. I need you to follow this, that, and the other that I might get. And while they don't say it, as soon as it doesn't look like it's going in that direction, the main question is, well, then what was the point of? The first step is to recognize that you are unworthy of eternal life, no matter what it is you thought you were doing to ascertain it, to accept it or to have it. I just don't know. I'm, I don't deserve it. I am not fit for eternal life. No, you are not. We are not. Yes? The second is to abandon striving to make oneself worthy, which we talked about. In order to be fit for eternal life, you have to abandon your ability to try to make yourself fit. Is this clear? Yes. Abandon the feeling of trying to make yourself fit. And sometimes we don't abandon it. We just keep it running in the background. I'm doing this so that I could, I could obtain a kingdom. You're doing so what? I'm doing it so that I can have eternal, you're doing so what? I'm doing it so that I can make it into heaven, you're doing so what? You think all of these things are actually going to do that for you? No, but it's so ingrained yeah. in our religious yeah. nature yeah. because religion is easier than relationship. Yes, By ourselves, we can never do so, okay? We can never uh, abandon striving to make oneself worthy. We must do our best, and God will do the rest is what we like to tell ourselves. But you can never stop trying to make yourself worthy. That's not, that's not right. You have to abandon that altogether. So what do I do? If I'm not See, you don't even know what to do if you're not striving to attain a goal. Look at your little A-type personality self. What do I do if I'm not trying to make it? What do I do with my hands? Abandon striving to make myself fit for, for eternal life? Yes, just don't even, don't even try. Don't even try. Don't even try. All the preachers are going, Pastor, don't tell people not to try. You're going to have chaos and sin. I got chaos and sin already. So you want me to stop trying to get into heaven? Yes. You just want me to abandon 
doing good that I might get into heaven and have eternal life? Yes, I do. Then what? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> there must be the entire cessation of all attempt to work out by our own efforts characters that will entitle us to eternal life. There must be an entire cessation, a ceasing of all the attempt to work out by our own efforts characters that would entitle us to eternal life. You have to stop all of your efforts that you think will entitle you to make it into heaven. Somebody told Jesus gave an example in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And Lord, and Jesus told the people, said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied your name. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many word wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, lawlessness. You have to stop all your attempts to try to make yourself worthy of inheriting the kingdom. Only people that's getting in is people that's doing my will. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do your will so I can get in. See that? The only people that are getting in are the people that do my will. I'm trying to do your will so that I can get in. Do you see that? Yeah. See, you just attached this last thing on here. Jesus said, only those who do the will of the Father will inherit the kingdom. Period. He says, but there are those who will say, I've been trying to do all I can to get into the kingdom. Yeah. Don't you remember? I did this in your name and I did this and I went to church in your name and I sang in the choir in your name and I stopped sinning in your name and I stopped smoking in your name. This means that I should inherit the kingdom, have eternal life. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. mean you didn't know me I was down here doing stuff with you in mind are you confused yet no it's not and this let me help you with this then what is the relationship between what I do in my new life with Jesus and my new life It's not, I've lived such and such, so I should have. It's not, I've tried such and such, so I should have. It's not, I've given such and such, so I should get. But it is, you, Lord, lived such and such, so I can live such and such. You, Lord, did such and such so that I can try such and such. And you, Lord, gave such and such that I can give such and such. Confused? You look it. Let's do it again. We have to abandon and the entire, we have to stop and cease all of the attempts to work out by our own efforts, characters 
that would entitle us to inherit the kingdom of life. I really worked on my lying, so now, because liars don't, get, don't go into heaven, so now I'm no longer a liar, so that means I can go to heaven. No. Every attempt that you make to make yourself fit for the kingdom is rejected. Because Christ lived, now you can live in this way. Let me do it again. You're trying to live rightly in order to inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot live rightly. Okay? That's poo trying to turn it into food. But since Christ died and lived and died and rose from the dead, now you can live rightly. I'm trying to develop this character so that I can inherit the kingdom of God. That's not accurate. You can't. It's impossible. You can't do that. Because Christ died, you can now live in such a way that you have that type of character. You already have eternal life. You're not doing this to get eternal life. Let me do it again. Okay, you ready? I'm trying to help fix myself up and stop doing this and stop doing that, that I might have eternal life. No, you cannot do that. But because Christ died and wants to give you eternal life, when he gives you eternal life, you can now live with such a character. Let me do it again. Are we almost there? I got, looks like I got about 85%. How are we? Let's do it. Let's try, let's try it. Let's try to get 90. Okay. Let's try to get 90%. We go, I need to be better at this so that I won't get excluded from heaven. I need to be better at this so I can make it to this future state of blessedness. That is incorrect. The future state is also a present state. And because it is presently you have eternal life. You are now able to live in that way that you desire. Because you already have eternal life, you can now live in the character that you thought you had to live in in order to get it. You could not live in that to get it, but now that you have it, you can actually do it. Do you remember how we talked about when you really believe and have eternal life? It changes and gives you deliverance from evil habits and evil desires. Your possession and belief in that eternal life that you have received has caused you to live in a character that you never thought imaginable. But when you try to develop that character in order to get the kingdom, you will fail miserably. Trying to build a house on sinking sand never works. You trying 
to develop better character that you might inherit the kingdom of God is a man trying to build a house on sinking sand. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't, y'all don't want, y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to help me. Hello, somebody. But when the cornerstone, that rock and foundation is put in place, come on, somebody. Now you can actually build a place of foundation and stability. The building the house on sinking sand will not give you a stable dwelling place. But when a stable dwelling place is given to you, then you can thus build now. Do you understand what I'm saying? We live in the aspect of eternal life. So what I do, I'm doing because I have eternal life. I'm giving because I have eternal life. I'm serving because I have eternal life. I'm not lying because I have eternal life. I'm not having sex because I have eternal life. Not in order to gain it. When you are the possessor of eternal life both now and in the future, you're able to do things you never thought you could do. Endure things you never thought you could endure. Remain faithful in situations you never thought you could remain faithful in. But when you are trying to make that character in order to have that future eternal life, it's never enough. You don't have what it takes because love is in the gift of eternal life. And love fuels, sustains all of creation. To not know love and love rightly means you don't have that living water that's constantly pumping and refueling and regenerating. You don't, you don't have that seed that is going to grow into something bigger and grander. You are missing the main component that makes what you desire to have even possible. Eternal life possesses the love of God. And it is that love being received and exchanged back and forth, us practicing this, that starts getting us familiar with eternal life. Forgiving, being forgiven, then forgiving. Being given mercy, then being merciful. Doing this, then doing that. Withhold, oh, ah, I see it now. I can, now, when you receive eternal life as a present possession, you are able to do what you always strive to do.